welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on media personality and current rinkside reporter for Fox Sports Midwest and the St. Louis Blues Hockey Games, Andy Strickland. This was an awesome conversation about the media world. He also coaches youth hockey, so we got into that. And he's also a guy that has grinded it out as well. And for most of you that have listened to us for a while now, you know how much appreciation we have for guys like that. But before we do get over to Andy, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Levechkio. Vex, what's going on today? Not much, brother. I'm flying high right now. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay, explain. I uh, got, got woke up this morning, and as I was taking my morning number two and checking <laughs> my my text messages and emails and faxes. Uh, got a text from one of my clients, Tyler Parks, last night around midnight uh, that the assistant GM from the Arizona Coyotes had messaged him and called him up to the AHL last night. So um, unbelievable story behind this kid. So Tyler Parks is a six foot seven, six foot six goalie, absolute monster. Um, he was just playing like local high school or like double A or something here when one of my buddies who is an advisor and an agent to NHL players named Jeff Boston, who I'm sure you know, yeah. I know you know, and uh, with the RSG Wa Sports Group, uh, found him and talked him up and got him to a goalie coach, Luke Vanker here in St. Louis, and <clears throat> wound up getting him to a junior A tryout where he just randomly made the team. They didn't even know who he was. Winds up playing in the NHL for a couple of years. Gets uh, gets a D one offer to play at um, St. Lawrence University. Things didn't go there as planned. Didn't wind up playing a whole bunch. He was going to transfer to Nebraska Omaha. The NCA wound up kind of messing something up, so he wound up not being able to transfer. So he had to go play D three. Uh, decided to leave there after a year and was in the SPHL. Uh, the Southern Professional Hockey League, and anyone who knows that league, like, yes, it's awesome that, you know, you're playing at that level, but professionally-wise, not really a very good league. Uh, pretty much nobody's ever going to get out of there, or, or very few guys are going to be able to make their way out of that league. Uh, he winds up playing there for, like, two years, goes to the coast on a loan, the East Coast Hockey League. Then he winds up bouncing around kind of as a loan and as a backup goalie. Last year, towards the end of the year, wins the starting job kind of as a goalie in, in the East Coast League. And this year he's crushing it, absolutely lighting it up. And he finally got the call last night at midnight uh, up to the AHL. So whether I told him whether this lasts an hour, a day, 10 days, 10 years, he gets winds up getting to the NHL, whatever, like for him to be in the second best league in the world from where he was just a few short years ago is miraculous and unbelievable. And it's an testament to Tyler as a person, his work ethic, his belief, uh, just everything. So it's like, you know, if you have a dream and you have a goal, never give up on it because you never know what could happen. And I'm, I'm just so proud of this guy because he is an animal and he never ever ever misses a day of workouts never misses goalie lessons on the ice he's had to work multiple side jobs in the summer to be able to afford to pay to come to me to come to goalie coaches etc like he's just an amazing person and i am so freaking happy for him that's unreal it's a christmas miracle (laughs) 
that's quite the story too, man. Like that is is a lot of bumps in the road. And, uh, wow. I mean, just, it just goes to show you resilience and perseverance and, and, uh, like you even said it too. Uh, the fact that he had to go do something to be able to, you know, afford like you and goalie coaches and stuff like that. I feel like that's something that gets missed so much is that this world is run by doers. There's so many thinkers in this world and everybody has an opinion. And I feel like social media has, has just made that problem even worse because now you feel like your opinion is going to everybody and you feel more important. But the people who actually get stuff done by doing things, those are the ones that end up accomplishing their dreams and goals. And so to hear somebody like that and a little bit from your story that he actually had to go and you know take the bull by the horns and get outside his comfort zone, if that's what you want to call it, and do things that he didn't want to do so he can get things that he wanted. Um, I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Dude, I, I, I'm pretty sure in the East Coast League, so, like, you know, you're two phone calls away from the NHL in the East Coast League. Like, I've seen guys get called up from the East Coast League directly to the NHL. That happens. It's very seldom. But, like, those things do happen. And he literally was playing in that league with, like, two-and-a-half-year-old pads because no teams would buy him new pads because he was the backup or because yeah. he was alone. Well, I remember coaching against around. him. When he was at St. Lawrence, I was at Cornell, and I remember coaching against him because I think he was the backup. Or he might yeah. have been the third goalie, if I can remember right. Oh, yeah. He only played a couple games in two and years One of the Lawrence. games was against us because we were blowing him out, and uh, so the goalie got pulled, and he went in there. And we were kind of like, you're big. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude, like, I can't even tell you, like, I just gave you the cliff notes of the bumps in the road this kid has had, and some of it's personal, I don't want to talk about it, but, like, what a human being, and just the mindset that he's had through it all, and obviously he went through tough times, and being low on the totem pole, very low on the totem pole, like he was, every summer, he never knew where he was going to be until like a week before the season would start. Uh, so like for anyone who's right like, there too. I mean, that is mentally, that is a grind to Oof. be going to work every day, like workouts and, and skating and stuff, but not knowing if you're actually going to be able to play, not knowing if you're going to have a team, not knowing if you're going to make any money, like all like just, it, it, it's crazy. Like, it's such a cool story. I'm just, I'm so proud of the kid. <laughs> When you just said money, it reminded me of Wedding Crashers. Like Craig's eyes and money. <laughs> Remember when she's giving her speech? Yeah, yeah unreal. Any, anyway, that's that's a that's an awesome story. I love hearing stories like that. Um, but before, so we have a, we have a great podcast here with, with Strix. I mean, just awesome information and to be able to get inside. I know we've kind of talked about it before when we had like Chris Butler on the podcast and stuff about the Blues and winning the Cup, but he really had inside access into what was going on with the Blues last year. And and he was able to tell an unbelievable story of of how they won the Cup. So that's going to be really interesting. But before we do get over to him, we got to, I mean, last week's episode, man, I have never gotten so many emails and messages except for after Uncle Tim, Tim Scott's podcast. So we got to talk about it. I love it. I love <laughs> it. We've been wanting to get Uncle Tim on for a long time. I love that people like randomly on Twitter and, and Instagram are messaging me and like, I want to talk about Uncle Tim. And people just call him Uncle Tim. That's I know. What called him. I so know. I love it. I love it. So fun. I was thinking about that when I was like doing the back end stuff and putting it up on the internet and on Exchangegram and stuff. Um, like if it was Tim Scott or should I just say Uncle Tim? And I was like, no, it's got to be Uncle Tim. 
Yeah, it has to. It's unreal. I love it. And Uncle, T- I'll tell you what, Uncle Tim definitely made his points. And like a lot of the messages both you and I have gotten and the hockey world in general, it's kind of split down the middle. People who agree with him, people who don't. So it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's funny, like the mites, peop, pe- the mites trigger, we say the word trigger quite a bit on, on the podcast. It triggers a lot of people. This whole half ice, cross ice, full ice, wow, people get insane about it, don't they? I feel like if you just make the kids have fun and teach them to skate and have fun, like that's what you got to do at mites. I don't know. I, I, again, I don't work with them, but like let's all just settle down people like they're babies. <laughs> like let's get them to love the game and then progress from there. Yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody. I can't remember who it was, but we were talking about uncle Tim's podcast. And, um, I think it's, it's funny cause people were questioning what's the right way and blah, 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 cross ice, full ice, all this kind of stuff. And I'm a big proponent of the cross ice stuff. I think there's research and I think it just makes sense that the cross ice stuff is better. But at the end of the day, you're so right. It's, it doesn't really matter that much. It, what matters is the kids are having fun and the kids are loving the game. And uh, I was having a conversation with uh, a parent the other day and, you know, he's, his kid is pretty good at hockey and they just wanted some advice on where to play, what to do, all that kind of stuff, because God forbid it's December and there's still four or five months left in the season, but everybody's trying to figure out where they want to play next year already, which grinds my gears. Um, but we're just going through it and, and uh, talking about all this strategizing. And I'm like, dude, where's your kid going to have the most fun where he's going to play? play hockey and develop like who's the coach that's going to allow him to do that at the end of the day that's the most important thing just who's the coach is he going to have fun is he going to enjoy coming to the rink because I've never played with a player or coached a player that gone on went on to do great things that wasn't in love with the game of hockey maybe a few that were just god-given talent wise just they can do whatever they want and they were just going to make it but all, all the good players that I've ever been around they just they love the game man like, yeah. so if you're a parent and you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out next year and you're trying to figure out what's the best path for your kid, what is the path that's going to have the best coach that's going to bring out the most passion in your kid for the game of hockey? That's the question you got to answer for me I, anyway. That's an opinion. It's not a fact, but that's my opinion. But it's an opinion that should be a fact. Boom roasted world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. 100%. No doubt in my mind. And just like, uh, a good teacher, you know, like we talked about, um, with, uh, with Mr. Dunkin' Donuts, um, <laughs> all the time. Like, I mean, I still I'll never forget that point. Like coaches should take te- classes that teachers go to on how to be a better teacher because coaching is teaching. Um, part of it is teaching a lot of it. So I think, you know, who's a good teacher. And, and like you said, just, you know, yeah. Are they going to have fun and are they going to hold them accountable? But like they're, they're, especially for the little kids, like, what does that mean? I just mean like, don't let them be like little idiots run around, like let them make, allow them to have fun, allow them to be kids, but also like teaching them manners and respect for the rink and things like that. That'll, you know, transcend hockey and they'll take on for, you know the rest of their life as they grow up. Yeah. And that's one of the things that uncle Tim is really good at. And reason why, he's really good even at. though we, you know, even though we don't agree with them on a lot of different things, hockey wise, I mean, there's not many people that I know or anybody that I know that can flirt that line with making sure there's a little bit of structure to what's going on. So there's the kids know what they're doing and they know not to get out of line, but also making sure that the kids are having a ton of fun. And if you're able to do that as a coach, especially at the younger levels, I think that's a huge part of your job. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's like insanely, insanely good at that. Like I I remember going to his practices and when he would like 
come down on somebody for messing around. I remember being like really scared of him, but then the next second, all the boys are having fun. But that kid who like, you know, maybe stepped outside the line was right back in line, but then he's having fun again. And that's not an easy thing to do with kids, like, because you might hurt their feelings or whatever, but he does that perfectly in a way where, you know, it's, it's exactly how it should be done. Um, motivating them, but also teaching them like the life, quote unquote, life lessons and things like that. So, hundred percent, props to UT. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there's also one thing I want to give out a congratulations be- before we do get over to Andy. So, Alyssa Gallardi, who we just had on the podcast, part of the Hockey Think Tank, and did an unreal webinar. I think we talked about it the last time too on athlete development. So, she just got hired by the Hurricanes, Carolina Hurricanes, to help grow hockey down in Carolina and man, she's an absolute stud. So, and the other thing that I was thinking about, I'm actually going to blog about this at some point, but so the people that were the original hockey think tank, the five of us, it, it kind of went from, you know, me and Brian and Brandon dreaming up this thing. And then it went to, we, we brought on Jared Wayman and Alyssa Gallardi for the webinar stuff. So all four of the people, since we started the hockey think tank, aside from me, are working for NHL teams right now since we started it. And that has nothing to do with the hockey think tank. I'm just saying that like, it's my goal in my life to surround myself with good people that are going to challenge me and make me better. And the fact that four of these people are now have ascended to, you know, the top of the ranks and whatever it is that they're doing. Um, I just, man, I'm a lucky guy. And you, if you wanted to, can probably work for an NHL team in the strength and conditioning. If like, it would be an absolute no brainer. Um, so I've surrounded myself with good people. I know it's holiday season right now and everybody's going to be having a little bit of nostalgia and, and, uh, it's a time of year of reflection and family and, and togetherness and stuff like that. And, uh, I just, I am very, very lucky and very, very blessed that I've been able to surround myself with some awesome people and, uh, this makes me better every day. So, uh, if, you know, people ask me for advice all the time on a lot of different stuff and the answer is, is usually the same. Surround yourself with great people. people people that give you energy, people that make you happy, people that challenge you in the right ways. And, um, I feel like I've been able to do that. And, uh, I'm just very, very grateful to you and to everybody that's, you know, in my, in my, uh, in my network. And I just really appreciate everybody, man. It's just that time of year. And just with gags getting that job and just recognizing that so many of the people I've surrounded myself with are just unreal at what they do. Just very cool. Yeah, dude, that is awesome. That's like a crazy stat. So, uh, drum roll, please. If my math is correct, carry the seven, divide by two. That means you'll be in the NHL soon. Boom. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I mean, obviously should be. So any teams out there listening, I know some of you do somebody give this dude a job <laughs> if he decides he wants it, because it'll only help your players. That's for sure. No, 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 no. <laughs> Very cool. But speaking of NHL, we can head over to to Andy here, man, because of what we were talking about earlier with Tyler and grinding it out. Sounds like Andy had to Stricky had to grind it out a little bit too. I mean, he's kind of got a face for radio. <laughs> he started, started off, started off in radio. And then now, I mean, this dude blew up. Like he's got a podcast, he's on TV, he's on radio, he's on, like he's, he's doing like stuff for big networks, small networks. Like it's actually really crazy. And what you said earlier about like basically be a doer. You want to, you want to achieve something like just start doing. I mean, that sounds like that's what he did. And now, I mean, he's ascended as well. Like the people you just said, it's really cool how that stuff works. Yeah, for sure. And I actually, 
want to share something about being a doer because I've really tried to do that when you're, as you know, when you're building a company, like that's something you can think all day, every day and, but nothing's going to happen unless you do. But one of the things that's really helped me, and I can't remember where I stole this from or who I read it from, but it was progress over perfection. That was the same because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So I'd find myself, whether it was with the podcast or whether it was with anything else that I was doing, just, I wanted it to be perfect. And you can't have perfection. You just can't, you can't, you're not going to please everybody all the time. You're not going to be able to do things to the best of your ability all the time. Circumstances certainly won't allow that most of the time. Um, so one of the things that I've really been trying to make a mantra of mine is just progress over perfection. Just get it out there, just do it and do it the best that you can and put it out there. And then whatever happens, happens. And it's so funny because you preach that as a coach all the time, but when you're trying to do it yourself, (laughs) sometimes you can get inside your own head and, and, uh, it inhibits what you're trying to do. So, um, I don't know if there's anybody out there that struggles with that, but just the, the progress over perfection thing really hit a nail on the head for me. And, uh, it's something that I'm trying to work on for sure as we go forward with this hockey think tank thing i love that and and to use a metaphor like from coaching and for hockey like to to go along with that to illustrate that like so i train i coach the 16s on the ice the u16 triple a blues and um when i learned to start shooting in stride was in juniors and it was very hard to learn to do that it's a very hard skill to learn how to do and at, so at the 16 level now like every shooting drill we're doing like i'm trying to teach most of them it's either like push and pull the puck or like change the angle or shoot in stride we're always trying to do one of those things when we're doing our shooting drills and the kids at first they want to be so good at it and it's such a hard skill to learn when you're first learning it that you just see them they, they try it once and they're like done they give up It's like, no, 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 you will do this. And it's like you just said, progress over perfection. I'm going to use that with them for sure when like I see them put their head down because they're upset that maybe they duffed a shot. That's going to happen. Keep doing it. Keep learning. Keep progressing. Keep failing and then learning for failing forward, learning from your failures and then perfect it. You're not going to be perfect the first time you do it or give up. It's not that. Just progress and get better every time. I really like that. Thank you. I'm stealing that. I'm using that uh, at practice (laughs) for sure. I can't remember where I still I think I might have heard it on a podcast or something but um, yeah it definitely hit home and and it's so true for for young kids especially I mean it's so easy to decide at one moment that okay I'm gonna I want to get better at let's say shooting the puck so they go down they're like I'm, I'm motivated to do this I'm gonna shoot 100 pucks in my basement today and then they get to practice the next day and they don't feel like their shot's any better. So they're like, well, that didn't really do anything. I, what's the point in even trying to work on it? Well, it's probably going to take you 2,000 shots before you're going to feel it in, in a game or in practice on the ice. And uh, it's so easy, you're right. It's so easy to give up and just say, oh, this doesn't work. But the people who run Fortune 500 CEO companies, the people who are running businesses, the people who are uh, you know, head coaches in, in really esteemed leagues like the NHL and things, they just, they're not afraid to fail. They're just not afraid to fail. And they put their best foot forward. They let, let the chips fall where they may. They learn a ton of lessons uh, throughout the way. And uh, that's how you got to live life. You can't live life with one dipping one toe in and then taking it out and then dipping one toe in and then take it out because you think the water's going to be too cold. You, you have to get out. If you really have a dream and you really want to accomplish something and do something, you have to get outside your comfort zone. You have to get after it, but it has to be consistent. 
I don't think anybody's ever done anything great just by snapping their fingers and boom, it's done. It's always been little incremental games that have built over time, and that's what greatness is. I agree. I'm not dipping a toe. I'm gearing down and jumping in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah. Too much information. But I'm not surprised. (laughs) I've seen it. Um, so with that, anyway, that just got like really serious or really silly right away. By the way, I think my daughter's two and a half years old. I think her favorite word is silly right now. And it's absolutely hilarious because she's such a little goofball and all she's, dad, you're being silly. Oh, I'm being silly. Mama's being silly. It's just so cool to see her being a little goofball. What a babe. I saw you skating with her on Instagram uh, yesterday. Pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, got the chance. Yeah, so there was a little skate with the Lakers yesterday, a little high school team here in the area. And uh, so they had the, the boys team and the girls team out there. So brought Paige out there. And then uh, our three-month-old Lucy got her in, in her little – she wasn't little. It's was just a big fleece costume. It's like a little monster costume and got on on the ice with her for the first time too. So um, definitely proud dad moments to say the least. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. That's pretty cool. Very, very cool. But um, before we do get over to Strix, we should wrap things up. We've been talking a while here. Um, do obviously want to, as we do before we get to every conversation, thank Gelsticks for being our title sponsor for the podcast right now. Uh, we've talked a lot about relationships here and, and doers, and, and those guys really epitomize that. Uh, you know them better than I do, but uh, they've built this thing from the ground up and have grinded it for sure. And uh, their training aid sticks are being used by so many people people all over the world. I actually got an email. It's Christmas time right now. And I got an email from somebody the other day that wanted to order four of them. So I was like, oh, cool. So they wanted the the coupon code. So if you do want gel sticks, uh, a training aid, again, I think it's a great present for your kid. Um, go to gelsticks.com, G-E-L-S-T-X.com and use the coupon code think tank, one word, uh, at your checkout to get a discount on those prices. Uh, we obviously want to thank everybody. I mean, it, this is the time of year, right? This is the time of year for reflection and, and really a lot of gratitude. Um, and, and, uh, again, we're over a year now and doing this 80 some odd episodes. And, uh, we just want to thank all of you for, for listening and providing us feedback. And we got a lot of feedback last week after the uncle Tim episode, which was awesome. Um, some was actually hilarious because they vehemently disagreed with uncle Tim on some of the things that he was saying. Um, but seriously, 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 we want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, a happy holidays. Uh, and, and uh, some great time with your family. And uh, we're actually spending uh, Christmas first time in Skinny Atlas, New York, uh, with just uh, just the four of us with our family. So it'll be interesting to start a little new tradition here. But um, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody. Thank you so much for all of your support and all that we do. And, Jeff, before we head it over to Strix, you got anything to, to add? I want to thank uh, all of our guests. I mean, I I've obviously – you and I like talking about hockey, but this podcast would not be anything without all of the insanely cool guests we have on. I mean, we, we are very lucky that people ask us to come on now and want to share their story or share their knowledge with everyone else. So I think that's very cool. And without all the guests that we've had, you know, we would probably have just our mom and dad listening. So <laughs> thank you to all the guests and all the listeners and uh, people high up in the hockey world like Andy Strickland, who we have here, uh, have on here today. So just thank you to all of you and Merry Christmas Happy Kwanzaa Happy Hanukkah whatever you celebrate if you don't celebrate uh, just enjoy enjoy the holidays here and thanks for always listening to us yeah appreciate you guys more than you know and uh, with that without further ado let's head it on over to 
Andy Strickland. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast current St. Louis Blues ringside reporter for Fox Sports Midwest, longtime radio host, and now current podcaster as well, Andy Strickland. Andy, how you doing today? All good, fellas. How about you? Thanks for having me. Oh no! Thanks for coming on, Jeff's. Uh, Jeff's excited. He's wanted to have you on here for a long time. Says, uh, you know, he doesn't say good things about many people. He's kind of a net negative, you know. But he seems to like you pretty good. So uh, we're we're excited to have you on. <laughs> yeah, you know, I say I say good things about Jeff too. I'm just looking for free workouts, though. Yes, <laughs> yeah, no? I have yet I to give workout. him any. I was going to say, you're looking for anything from him for free. Good luck. <laughs> uh, I like yeah, no, it. It's all good. Absolutely. I yep. like it. I like it, Strix. Well, yeah, again, we appreciate you having on. And typically what we do with our guests that we have is we try to take it way back and, and uh, get to kind of the story of how you fell in love with the game. So, you know, if you can, how'd you get involved in hockey? Was it something that your family got you involved with it? Was it a certain pro team? But uh, just wanted to ask you how you fell in love with the, the great game of hockey. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, from the time I was just, I was young, you know, I grew up in a, in a hockey family that ex- extended beyond my family. My, my family on my dad's side, um, is from Southern Ontario, uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, okay. um, and the Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, uh, uh, area. So my mom and my dad both grew up in Buffalo and my dad was a big hockey fan, really into it. Um, when I was a little kid here, you know, and they moved to St. Louis and when I was like two, three years, uh, years old, he was a hockey coach at the Smet high school. And so I used to go watch the games all the time and, and, you know, just fell in love with the game just from being at the rink on the weekends and just running around and, and, you know, watching the older guys skate, going to team parties, all the type of stuff. And just fell in love with the game. And, you know, my dad was a huge, huge hockey fan, huge Maple Leafs fan, um, you know, and, you know, it trickled down to generations on, on his side of the family tree. And, and I, I just kind of like, you guys know how it is, man. I mean, just, you know, anything that you're passionate about, you kind of, you know, go back to, you know, how it all started and you could just never shake it throughout your entire life. And hockey was, was that for me. You know, when I was a kid, I was never great in school, never really into school, but I would just draw like hockey nets and hockey pucks and guys shooting hockey pucks, like, you know, on my school papers and notebooks all the time, constantly thinking about hockey. You know, when we're in school lines, you know, walking through the hallways, you know, I'm like stick handling an air hockey stick, you know, like we're going through the elementary school lines. You know, like that was me. I was just really into it. And constantly in the garage and in the driveway, you know, I used to rollerblade with a hockey stick and a puck on the way to elementary school back when, you know, rollerblades, you know, kind of first came into things and just loved the game. And, you know, I was never as, as, you know, you find out, you think you're good, right? Until you like grow up and you like meet players who are like actually good. And you're like, oh, wow, I, I wasn't, that, I really wasn't good. You know, when you see how good certain players are who moved on and played, a, you know, much higher levels than I ever did. But, you know, my passion and love for the game is so strong that I think it, it, it matches guys who, you know, obviously, you know, had much better playing careers and have, you know, made a living, you know, playing hockey or, you know, went on to play college hockey or play juniors or whatever. So just love the game and, and fortunate to be able to still continue it. And, and there's no question that my love for the game as a young kid is the reason why, you know, I pursued, you know, to take my life in the direction that I'm in right now. 
That's awesome. I love hearing you saying that because I was, I wonder if we were at like some of the same games because I would always go with my dad because he was ref, you know, he was the president of refing association in Missouri for a long time when I was growing up. And I would always go to games and just run around and be shooting pucks, be my sister and I, or my buddies and I, my dad be ref in high school or AAA or junior blues games. And I'd be at the rink running around, having fun, collecting the stickers out of the sticker machine at Afton for like the different NHL teams. And yeah, you know, like all those kind of things. Does that still happen anymore? Cause you're involved in the youth hockey world still a little bit. You're coaching a triple a blues team. I don't really see that as much. And there's definitely way more emphasis of being a pro when, when you're mm-hmm. a kid now, I hear coaches say that all the time. And it's like my biggest pet peeve because my fondest memories are being a little idiot running around hotels, playing shinny hockey. Do you see oh, that anymore? Sure. Or has that changed? Yeah. Well, I think with the younger kids, I still see it because, you know, a lot of my friends have kids and, and, you know, just kind of see them, you know, growing up at the rink, running around, doing what we're talking about, you know, playing shitty hockey and, you know, shooting pucks, um, you know, off ice and stick handling in the hallways and stuff like that. And now those kids are starting to, you know, play or have been playing the last couple of years. And, you know, they're, they're hockey players now, you know, and, you know, my son, he's three years old and, you know, it's hard for me to bring him to games that I coach and stuff because, you know, my wife has no interest in ever going to a youth hockey game. Like she just is not into it. And, you know, it's like surprise, right? You know, she should just want to go watch, you know, youth hockey games all the time. So, you know, my, my three-year-old needs somebody to sit with them, but I brought him to the game this past weekend and I brought my eight-year-old daughter with me and she hung out with him and, you know, just trying to get him to fall in love with the game that way. You know, he can watch games on TV and make him play shitty hockey in the living room or whatever, but it's different when you go and watch the older kids. And, you know, the one guy I coach with, his son, you know, is there. He's four years old, I think four or five years old. You know, he brings his stick and they're playing hockey and a couple of the other kids are up there playing. So, you know, I, I think you still do see some of that. I think just in terms of how kids are raised nowadays and how different society is, it's never going to be the same. Just like anything else in the world, it's different than it was when, when we were growing up. But I still think kids fall in love the same way. I mean, hey, you know, they're three years old. You see the Zamboni for the first time. You're like, whoa, that thing is awesome. Like, what is that, you know? And, um, you know, my kid's not one of those guys. Like, I don't, like, give him, like, uh, you know, I don't test him every day. Like, who's number, like, seven, you know, on the <laughs> Washington Capitals? Like, I don't ask him that, you know? Like, I don't expect him to know that. He's into trains. He's in the cars. He's into um, – you know, Paw Patrol and all that type of stuff as well. But, you know, he's slowly but surely getting into hockey too, you know, and I think just being around the rink, I think that's where you truly, you know, fall in love with the game. Oh, totally. And I have I have two things, like kind of to piggyback off what you guys are saying. And one is every time I walk into a rink and I see a no ball hockey in this area, I want to rip that sign down and put it in oh. garbage. You know, like that again, that's where we like my dad was a coach growing up. And so that's kind of where I started to fall in love with it because I would go to my dad's games, you know, kind of like what you're talking about, Strix, and, and uh, would always be like I would I would never have gone into a rink without a stick and a ball when I was from like age four to, I don't know, now. (laughs) It's just, it was a huge part of it. And like, I live in a small town here in in upstate New York and you always see kids, like there's designated areas, like a huge, you know, concrete area where the kids can go and play and stuff. And I just think that's really cool. But the other thing that I think is huge about it too, is we didn't grow up with devices. Like we didn't grow up with iPhones and iPads and stuff. And it kills me walking into a rink and I see kids sitting in the lobby, like just 
watching a movie or something. It's like, no, like mm-hmm. there, there's so much more to being at the rink than that. And like, I totally get it. Like I got a two year old too. So like, it's a lot easier to parent when, you know, there's a device and you know where they're at, you know where they're going to be and they're not running around. Yep. But at the same time, like, holy cow, like those things got to go away when you're in public spaces. You got to let your kid go, go <laughs> run, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? The only time they come in, only time they come, uh, come in handy is like on a Friday or Saturday night. And you're with your wife too, and you just want to have a conversation, you know, yeah. like maybe a glass of wine or whatever. So it's it's, it's not always bad, but no, I, I'm with you though. At the rink, I mean, um, my kid the other day when he came to the game last weekend, I had him bring his hockey stick, you know, Love and it. my daughter was like, "Well, what's he going to do with it?" I'm like, well, you can, "Listen, there's a lot of areas you can like, you know, take a tennis ball, whatever. You can you can do whatever you want in the rink. There's like no rules. Just don't leave the rink." That's what I told him. You know, you can run around, you can do whatever you want. Our new facility we have now has like a platform up top where kids can run around and play. So um, I'm hoping that he, he develops the, the pa- same passion for the game that I have, you know, you know, but I'm realizing though, when you're a parent, like you just can't force it. I think when you try to force it, it can almost, you know, work against you. So I'm, I'm trying to do it as naturally as possible. Um, you know, because listen, teaching a kid how to ice skate is maybe the most painful thing like you're ever going to do. Like it's not fun for the kid and it's not fun for the parent. Like my back is killing me. It hurts. <laughs> and you know, like I just want to go out there and like twirl around. You're like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, why won't you move your feet? Like he stands there, like he's at the edge of the diving board and he's scared to jump. Like he's like frozen, but he'll get up and down and, you know, he, he wears shin guards. He loves falling down because it doesn't hurt now, but he won't put his hockey pants on because they're too big. And so I'm just ready. I'm just hoping that he gets to the point where he ready, you know, he's ready to start skating because we did skating lessons and he absolutely hated it. It's like the most intimidating thing ever. There's like 19, 20 kids out there, two teachers, and every face-off circle has like a different class going on. It's total chaos. And he wasn't into it. So well, get off your wallet, Stricky. Get him a personalized lesson. I I know. So now I go with him and I'm always like, no, it's just you and I, we're going to go out there. We're going to skate, but I'm the worst, my teacher. Like I'm not going to be the guy to teach him to skate. Well, it, it is interesting. And it's so funny with young kids when you bring them to the rink, especially for the first couple of times and just like the kind of stuff that they say and the things that they're interested with. Cause like my daughter, so she's two and a half now, but uh, she was obsessed. So I ran this charity game in uh, at Cornell this summer. And so one of the things we did to kind of shoot some content was I put a GoPro on the top of my helmet. And my daughter is now like legitimately obsessed with a camera helmet. She calls it a camera helmet. Daddy, where's your camera helmet? What's, what's going on with your camera helmet? All this stuff. And I don't have it anymore. Um, but it is, it's, it's so funny. Like I took her out to skate for the first time just a couple weeks ago, which was unreal. And yeah, it's going to be a while before she actually skates. But <laughs> you know how that goes but still she's like daddy i like i can't go on the ice without the camera helmet like where's the camera helmet? oh yeah what's what's going on here and it's just like kids kids at that age are just so funny and so fun and you just like see the pure joy of just what being a kid is and you never want to take that out of it so when you talk about just like wanting them to naturally fall in love with it i think you know if you just bring them and you have fun with it i mean i don't think it's that easy but it certainly helps No, and my daughter like is obsessed with it. You know, she's eight years old and she's completely obsessed with, with hockey. She loves it. I mean, she's old enough to obviously like know what was going on last year during the playoff run and, and the whole Stanley Cup final and everything. And, and you know, she's been around the guys a bunch 
And, you know, you get to meet a player. I'm sure you guys remember the first time you met an NHL player and then you see him on TV, you have that automatic connection, you know, like there was a period of time where the blues weren't very visible in the community. I mean, there was um, a, a long window where you didn't see him at the rinks and they weren't around. It was so different than it is right now. I think it's so important for kids to be able to identify the experience of meeting an NHL player and having them be accessible and visible. And the Blues do a great job of that now. But, I mean, several years ago that was non-existent. But um, so for my daughter, you know, and even kids like at her, her age group, you know, just having that experience of watching a team win a championship, that makes people lifelong Blues fans and hockey fans and gets them into it. And so big. You never realize how important winning is until it happens. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, another piece of that is is having people like you as a part of that fabric to kind of tell stories and and to uh, just introduce almost and and let the the public get to know the players, and that's a lot of the times through you and uh, you know with some of the work that you've done and. I used to love like watching all access type stuff where they put cameras in the locker mm-hmm. room. And when we were growing up, that was, it wasn't really a thing. Now you can just go to YouTube or go to a team site and you can get to know the players a lot more. Um, so do you think that that's like a huge part of growing the game and getting more people involved in it? And do you take that as like a huge responsibility on your end with your job to, to really tell some great stories to get people involved? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I'm with you. Like when I was a kid and you're watching games and they do the in-between period features or the in-between period interviews, I love that stuff. And that's some of the most, you know, fun stuff that I do right now. And, you know, listen, I looked at it as an opportunity. Um, You know, I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster and go into broadcasting, but I also knew that I wanted to cover hockey. It wasn't like I went into broadcasting so I could just be a talk show host or I could cover baseball or football. I went into broadcasting specifically so I could cover the NHL. It's all I ever wanted to do. And, you know, my aspirations weren't to be like a play-by-play announcer. I didn't envision myself, you know, calling game seven, but I just wanted to be involved with the sport and be a broadcaster and, and got that opportunity, you know, with some minor league teams with Missouri River Otters that were here and, and, and doing some other stuff, high school hockey, you know, I've been involved with the high school hockey coverage for years, but even going back, you know, long before the games were on Fox, we used to do games on charter, I mean, years ago. And, you know, you see guys who eventually move on and, you know, have great careers. I mean, like uh, Joe Vitale, for example, or, you know, the Stasnies and some of these guys, you know, you see them when they're in high school and all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they move on to, to do things. But I, I did look at it as an opportunity to kind of be a voice for the hockey community with the mainstream media and that nobody was really doing that. I mean, there were guys who were, covering the blues who wrote stories for the newspaper, but I just saw an opportunity to truly, you know, give day, you know, daily, you know, editorial opinion on the hockey club and, and on the St. Louis blues and just getting down to the rink. I just, you know, I couldn't believe they would actually pay you to go to the ice rink. I'm like, this is absolutely crazy. It's like ass nine that you get paid to go to the rink. But you know, it's just something that I wanted to do. And I saw an opportunity and I was focused on it from the very beginning that, Hey, you know what? I just, I just want to cover the NHL and I'm going to do it. Even though I had a boss at, you know, one of the first radio stations that I worked at big radio station here in St. Louis came and what's radio. I worked there for 10 years and he said, there's no place for it. And I said, well, listen, and he was like, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I just want to cover the NHL. I want to be the voice of hockey here in St. Louis as much as I possibly can. Um, for people to be able to follow the sport. And he's like, well, then go do that. 
you know, but he also would say there's no room for it. People don't want it. You know? So it was counter, it counterdict himself. And I think he just wanted to get me out of his office, <laughs> but it was after that conversation that I was just focused on moving forward and covering the NHL. And this is what I was going to do. That's pretty cool. And, and I'm like Tolf. I mean, Tolf, Tolf loves hockey and I love hockey, but in a different way, Tolf loves watching hockey and I and obviously loves playing it, but I'm like, I love playing it and just finding ways to get better at it. But I don't really mm-hmm. love watching hockey still to this day. I'm sure part of that is obviously because of what happened in my career with concussions or whatever, and not being able to, to, to keep going after my dream. But like, I love behind the scenes sports shows. I love what you do. I love like when you have a guy and you t- go through his daily life or you're going back over his summer and what did he do? And you go through the interviews and stuff like that. And I personally think those kind of things are so important for anyone. That's not a diehard fan. So like the diehard fans, they're going to watch hockey, no matter what they're obsessed with hockey. They love it for whatever reason. The people are obsessed with, with the game. If you can get people interested in the players like you said your daughter's starting to meet some of the players then she sees them on tv sees them out in the community well now they're interested in the players who are playing the game so they'll go to the game because they're interested in what's going on in their life and i think that for the sport to keep growing people in your position and the people above you making decisions on who to hire for their media departments need to continue to think about professional sports are it's not just a sport it's entertainment and you have to have people in the seats. You have to get people involved. You have to get people excited and interested. So how do you continue to do that? And I think a big piece is NHL teams hiring guys like you and every week having behind the scenes stories on the team, on specific yeah. guys, on the coaching staff, all those things that are behind the scenes where people get more interested in, in everything in the organization. No, for sure. And see, and that's where I give Tom Stoneman credit because he, he he understands that because he still plays. He knows people in the hockey community. And, and that was kind of like my cell originally was, you know, to different people that I worked for. Like I was part of the hockey community. I grew up playing the game, still playing pickup hockey and men's league, whatever. Like I, these are your fans. Like the people who are at the rink every single day and all weekend long and at night until 1030, because the kids have practice. Like these are the people who are watching your product and these are your fans. And these are the people you need to identify with. And, you know, when you're putting out your product, you got to have them in mind, you know? And I always say, worry about the fans you, you, you have, as opposed to trying to, you know, pull in and reel in the fans you don't have because hockey's difficult to do. And I think the way you do it is by having, you know, a winning product and then people go down to the rink and they experience it live and they fall in love with it. It's the hometown team and all that type of stuff. And we saw that last year with the playoffs, but you know, to me, I just felt like, Hey, I can relate to the hockey community because it, those are the people that I know and that I'm familiar with and they're familiar with me. And, you know, I don't think we really had that in the past. I mean, typically it's just like, Hey, you know, somebody may be covering football or Illinois basketball or whatever. And, and they're really talented at what they do in terms of being reporters and their writers and whatever, but they just get thrown onto the hockey beat without any type of um, connection to the hockey community. And I just felt like, you know, I had that and, you know, then got into coaching, which is what I always wanted to do. And it's funny because now all of a sudden all these kids from St. Louis 
they make it to the National Hockey League, and you've known these guys since they were seven, eight, nine years of age. And it's crazy to see them all of a sudden get there and you have a relationship with them. So there's probably an advantage to that. I mean, I'm hanging out with John Cooper yesterday in the morning, and then before the game, he comes over to our studio, you know, and it's like, you know, I've known this guy since he was coaching the Bandits and just sitting in his office when he was a nobody, just, you know, having a beer after a game. And all of a sudden now he's one of the top coaches in the world you know, and one of the best coaches of the National Hockey League. And it's just amazing to see how quickly that can happen for certain people. But again, it's that connection with the hockey community and being involved, which gives you the opportunity to get to know these guys as people before they become household names or hockey celebrities. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Let me ask you something about Cooper. Did you see something special in him when he was coaching with the Bandits, which was a North American League team, uh, a junior team at the time in St. Louis? Did you kind of did you see him in a light that's like this guy's got something? Well, he was a character, you know, like, <laughs> and I don't mean like an off the wall character, but he was like a personality. He was so confident in his ability to coach and what he was doing. And, you know, the more I'm around this, like, I've been around some of the best coaches in the history of the game. I mean, when I first started covering the Blues, you know, Joel Quindle's the head coach. And there weren't many people hanging around the rink going to practice every day. I mean, honestly, it was maybe me and, like, a beat writer. Occasionally, the TV guys would come. And Jamie Compom was, who's now an assistant coach with Winnipeg Jets, and he's won cups with L.A. and Chicago, being on the bench as an assistant coach. He was the video coach. And we used to skate all the time after practices. And he'd let me come in the video room and just watch them break down video. And it was way different than, you know, how they do it now. It's like obviously way more sophisticated. This is back in like the early 2000s. But I was just so hungry to like learn the game. Like I felt like I, I knew the game, but I really didn't know the game. Like it's just amazing how smart these guys are and how intelligent they are and how they see the game. And being around people like him and Joe Quimble and Mike Kitchen, and then Andy Murray, and then Ken Hitchcock, and developing the relationship that I've had with these guys. I mean, I've been fortunate here in St. Louis to have, you know, some of the the smartest hockey guys around, but they're all different. And in the case of John Cooper, like, he was never, like, a huge X's and O's guy. And, you know, John Roger was his assistant coach. Good here dude. In, um, Really good guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here with the, with the Bandits, and then he went on to Green Bay with them. But I knew John since I was a kid. And then we coached together three of the best years I've ever had coaching, coaching with John Roger. He left us to go to the bandits with, with, uh, with Coop. And I used to always ask him that, like, how does this guy win? Like, what's his, like, and he would always say just his ability to communicate with players, let them know where they stand, his honest approach. You know, he was never like the biggest, you know, X's and O's guy. He knows the game obviously, but that was never his, his style. He surrounds himself with people who really know the game were really smart. He's got like Jeff Halper and people like that on his bench right now. He's had other smart coaches in the past, but he's a people person. And I think, listen, you can be the smartest hockey guy in the room, but if you have no people skills, it's going to get you nowhere. But if you have people skills and you're not as sharp with the game, you can at least surround yourself with people who are, who can make up for that. And if you can't communicate with your players and you have, like I said, no people skills, you almost have no, no chance. But John Cooper always had the ability to be relatable and to relate to people and to get people to buy into what he wants and, you know, to be willing to go to the next level um, because of his approach and, and the way I think he communicated with his guys. It's no different how he did it with the Bandits 
versus how he's doing it now with Steven Stamkos and, and Kucherov. I mean, just talking to him yesterday, he's the same guy. He makes a lot more money. He's on a bigger stage. Everything's being scrutinized what he does. But when you get him in a room, you just sit down and you talk, man. He's the same guy he was, you know, when we were hanging out at the Hardy Diceplex and he was coaching the Bandits. Yeah, totally. And uh, he, we actually had uh, Derek Lalonde, who is an assistant coach in Tampa Bay. He came to our uh, Hockey Think Tank development conference this summer, and he told an incredible story about Kucherov where like, he wasn't playing really well at the beginning of the year, and obviously he turned it around and, um, and won the MVP. But at the beginning of the year, it was really tough for him, and, and uh, the coaching staff weren't on the same page with him and stuff. So Newsy was telling a story about how they had watched some video, and they were having a meeting with Kucherov uh, in the morning before a game and uh like they were ready for blood like i'm vex i don't know i don't know if you remember this yeah. story but so they were ready yeah. for blood they were gonna like you know you're not working hard and all this kind of stuff and then coop just kind of goes i got this guys and so like he goes into the office with kucherov and uh you know so newsy and, and halpern they were thinking that like you know coop was going to give it to him and then all of a sudden Kucherov and Cooper walk out of the office and they're laughing and they got their arms around each other and you know all this kind of stuff and 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 Newsy and Halpern were like wait what's going on I thought you know I thought you were going to give it to him and Coop's like no I, I decided to go in a different way just because he knows people that well mm-hmm. and uh and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden Kucherov like they they agreed to meet in the middle and say hey I need a little bit of this you give me a little bit of that and then Kucherov just took off and obviously you see what happened with him throughout the year so that ability to just manage people and and uh, Benny Sire, who I worked with at Cornell, he would tell me stories about when Coop was, uh, I, I call him Coop, like I know him, John, Coach Cooper, <laughs> when he was coaching in, uh, in Green Bay in the USHL. And as a college coach, sometimes you go down, you know, after the, after the game and, and, uh, and talk players or have a few beers with the, with the junior guys. And, and uh, Benny said, I've never seen somebody work a room the way that Cooper did in terms of like the players mm. that would come in and, and they'd be all smiling and laughing or whether it was his assistant coaches or the staff that worked in Green Bay he was like he, he almost had those people eaten out of the palm of his hand and just he was so good with people and uh, I just it's it's so important in fact I was actually having a conversation with uh, Adam Nicholas the other day and uh, he was kind of talking about when uh, you know head coaches how a lot of times the head coaches their most important thing needs to be people Surround yourself, like you were saying, Strix, with, with people who are really good at the X's and O's and kind of things and, and organization and stuff. And the head coach has got to be the guy that's pulling the strings and, and uh, really managing the personalities of the room because that's so important. So I know there was a long-winded explanation and stories and answered and all the kind of stuff to what you were saying. But I think synopsis, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, the, listen, there, uh, and I, uh, I, I got what you're saying, but they're all different. Like Hitchcock is different than Joel Quindle, yeah. different than Andy Murray, different than, you know, Craig Berube, who's coaching right now. Like the winning follows these guys around everywhere they go. All they do is win. Right. So, I mean, it's like, and same thing with John Cooper, he just wins everywhere he goes. Mark Reed is a guy who I used to talk to all the time. I became really tight with him. Um, when he was coaching the river otters, and I was doing you know, minor league hockey broadcast back in the early 2000s when they had a US, UHL team here in town, and he was the coach. And I, and I just knew this guy was, like, smart. Like, when is he going to get an opportunity? And he would leave and go to a different team, and they would win. He'd go to the OHL, they'd win. And eventually found his way to the National Hockey League as a coach, played, of course. But these guys are just all so intelligent, but they, they do it in different ways. And, you know, Craig Berube, like, he does it from a credibility standpoint and from an honesty standpoint. He tells you exactly where you are. You may not always like it, 
but he's up front and he's honest and he's going to treat you the same as he will with the best player on the team. He treats the best player on the team the same way as he does the last player on the team. And I think that brings everybody together. You know, the one thing NHL players can sniff out is a phony and they do it right away. And when you're kissing one player's ass and you're treating this guy differently than you are me as a player or whatever, if you're, if you're a player, you see right through that, that divides guys. I think it divides the locker room. And that's one thing Craig Ruby, man, I mean, he played over a thousand games in the NHL doing what he did as a player. It's one of the most miraculous things I've ever heard of, to be honest, that he was able to play as long as he did. And then you bring a guy in like Steve. I know Steve Ott forever. I knew him as a player. I mean, I, I always felt like he'd be a coach because he said he'd always wanted to be a coach. But, you know, when you know him as a player, you may think, well, how is this guy going to coach? But if you saw what he does behind the scenes, how he leads, you know, how he handled himself inside the dressing room, how his players looked up to him, you're not surprised to see that. Mike Van Ryan's a guy who I think has that coaching potential down the line in the NHL. So all these guys played in the league, and I think that means more now than ever because the way guys are coached and the approach you have to have with the players nowadays and if you have that credibility as a player, I think it means more now than maybe it did in the past, which I never really believed in a ton because Ken Hitchcock didn't play, you know, but he had a lot of success. But the connection between he and his players was completely different than the connection we see between Quenbell and his players and certainly between Baruby and his players. It's almost like Baruby's one of the guys, but when he speaks, guys listen for sure. Definitely. I, I totally agree with that. Let, let me ask you this. So we talked a lot about coaches here and different things that made different coaches successful, but obviously you, you have a very unique look that 99.9% people who watch NHL don't get to see. What about from players? Are, are there common characteristics or traits um, on the ice, off the ice, whatever that you see from NHL players on a daily basis? Oh, for sure. I mean, but, you know, some are smarter than others, Bex, and you know that, right? I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because... me. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of guys don't like to admit that they watch hockey all the time. I always find that interesting and funny. Like, it's not cool to watch hockey when you're an NHL player, you know? Oh, and the guys yeah. that do that are open about it, they get chirped left and right for watching hockey. Like, oh, you're such a loser, like, watching hockey. But you know what? Like, That's stupid why wouldn't you watch when this is what you do for a living? Like, how do you know another player's tendencies? You know, you may pick up on something when you watch another player play that you wouldn't pick up on if you don't watch the game. And, you know, you want to prepare yourself and be the best player you possibly can. I love the fact when certain guys admit that, but you know, there's just something about an NHL player, like a guy who's been around for a while, you know, whether it was Pronger and McKinnis and those guys back when they play, even at Jamal Mayer's played over nine games or Andy McDonald, like just how intelligent these guys are. Eric Brewer, these guys are so smart in terms of their ability to dissect the game. And right now, I mean, my go-to guys, when I have a question um, that may be uh, about the system or how they, you know, play a specific, um, you know, special teams, you know, if they're going up against a good power play and they obviously shut them down, you know, what do they do? You know, just little hockey tactics. If I have questions like that, I, I go to Jay Bowmeister. He's played over 1,200 games in the league, and his ability to explain and break the game down is at the highest level. I mean, it is unbelievable to listen to him talk the game. And same with guys like, you know, Braden Shen. Um, just how he sees the game and his ability to break it down. David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly, these guys are unbelievable. I mean, just 
you know, PhDs in the game of hockey, just in terms of their ability to see it, but explain it to you what they're seeing at the moment, especially when we go into the film room and we do some of these film room segments that we do on television where we break down goals or saves or whatever. And without any preparation whatsoever, how aware they are of everybody else on the ice, tendencies certain guys have, and how they know personnel on the other team and how they see things that end up developing into a goal or a big save, like I said, it's just incredible. You, you, can't, you can't fake it. And some guys have it better than others, but there's no secret and it's no surprise. Guys that make it to this level, just how intelligent they are as players. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, like no question. It, it It is really fun to talk to players at all different levels when you feel like you can learn something. I do feel like I, I should ask you this because in the coaching sphere, not necessarily the players sphere, but in the coaching sphere, one of the things that you mentioned was these guys have such a great ability to kind of take the complex and make it simple and, and you know, relaying information to, to people that don't have access to the kind of information that they have. But I feel like a lot of coaches are almost the opposite, where they're going to try and make it so complicated that they seem mm-hmm. very smart and what you're hearing is very smart. It's like an ego thing or something. And those guys don't last. Those guys don't last. <laughs> I was going to say, last. but have and you seen that? that? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. And it's, a lot of times it's with coaches that are a little more insecure. Um, I used to joke around, like, certain guys, I mean, they just create a traffic jam, like, when they talk. Like, I mean, <laughs> in a press conference, <laughs> That's too, a good way of putting 90% it. of the guy, 90% of the guys, like, have no idea of the media. Like, they don't even know what they're talking about. Like, you've got to speak in, like, layman's terms. They're taking it back to a news station where, like, an 80-year-old grandma is, like, watching the news. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I would ask players, like, do you even know what, what he's saying? And they have no clue what he's saying. And, you know, hockey became this game where the, the vernacular and the terminology started changing a little bit. Everybody wanted to one-up one another in terms of how they describe the game or how they talk about the game. And, you know, I just find that it doesn't work. The coaches that I've covered around here who haven't lasted, that was one of their biggest weaknesses, I think, is just to be able to talk the game without trying to sound like the smartest guy in the room. When you try to sound like the smartest guy in the room all the time, deep down, there's the empty hole of of something where you just, where I question, do you really know as much as you're trying to put off it, you know? You know, and I, I mean, when you're in a room with a Quimbel or a Hitchcock or a Baruby or a, you know, a John Cooper, like last night, they, they don't do that. They don't try to speak above you or beyond you because they don't have to, because they're confident in their own skin. I just see this with a lot of younger coaches that try to smart, sound as smart as possible, where at the end of the day, they don't even know what they're saying. And if they don't know what they're saying, how the hell are we supposed to know what they have no clue. <laughs> yeah, and it is so true with uh, you know the vernacular that people people use. You know, hockey sense became hockey IQ, which became the guy has a brain. And I'm sure it'll be mm-hmm. something else in the next year that everybody's going to think they reinvented the wheel by the way that they talk about the game. And uh, but I I told like I see it so much. I think that insecurity factor that you were talking about is huge when it comes to to coaching, especially at at your level at the at the highest level because the best coaches and you even talked about with Barube like they're believable 
like they're 100% believable and what they say comes from within and it has conviction and they actually believe mm-hmm. it. I feel like the coaches from the youth levels all the way up, the ones that, that don't do well are the ones that talk to people and the people under, like recognize that there's an angle to what they're saying. Like the coaches are trying oh, to get yeah. you to do something rather than just telling them the truth. And I've seen it as a player. I've caught myself doing that at times as a coach. Um, you know, you're trying to get creative with trying to get somebody to buy into something or something like that. But at the end of the day with the coaches that you mentioned, um, that you've been able to be around, I think that believability thing and that just speaking with conviction is, is, uh, is everything. Vex, like, what do you think? Have you had coaches kind of on both sides of the spectrum with that too? Yeah, I I remember one of the coaches that I definitely didn't really take to in pro who he didn't play that high of a level, um, you know, for a pro coach. And he was constantly trying to use like big words and like over show us video and over over um, analyze everything. And we're like, no, dude, it's a one, two, two, four check. Like we've all been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> you're, you're not reinventing anything. And like, he wanted to do all these crazy things and the, he just lost the boys in the room so fast, yeah. like, like so fast. And I look back and it was like, you know, like all you had to do was just be normal, like be yourself. Like he was trying to be this big, like over the top type guy. And I was like, if you're just yourself, we would have all bought in. But like, it actually like <laughs> kind of had the kind of had the Herb Brooks effect where we all came together, not liking the guy and like <laughs> laughing at him behind his back, which then brought us together as a team. And then we were good. So it, it, it worked, but not in the way he wanted it to, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, if, just be yourself and be, have passion and just like, Trying to help the boys out. I mean, that's it's not that he wasn't speaking hard. Japanese, was he? <laughs> if you were in Japan, you never know if they're speaking English. But I, I see it with the um, youth hockey coaches, though, who like this is what and why I've always liked coaching older kids and and you know, I've coached younger guys too, like kids that have come in their first year AAA, whatever they're nine, ten years old. And I see coaches really try to overcomplicate their practice plans. And they get frustrated and they take it out on the kid because they can't get the drill right because it's so overcomplicated. I mean, I've been watching NHL practices for 20 years now, like every single day. And people don't understand how simple these drills are. I mean, they're very basic. They're simple, hockey-specific and we try to like all of a sudden we got like five different stations. Everybody's going at once. They're curling here. They're doing this. They're crossing each other. I mean, guys are losing the puck. I mean, and the coach is blowing the whistle. And I see guys doing push-ups or sideboards because they're messing up the drill where they have no idea. Dude, they're ten, eleven years of age. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you have, they have no idea what you're talking about. How are they supposed to know? And you expect them to get this drill right when at the highest level. It's just all about passing and skating and shooting, and it's not complicated, and it's very simple, and it's basic. And I try to bring some of those to the teams that I help out with, and it's almost like the kids expect you know, the drill to be so much more complicated, and when they're dumbed down, they almost like laugh it off like they're too good for it until they start doing it and realizing how important it is. And you tell them, hey, these are what NHL players do every single day. But if it's not you know, total chaos going on on the ice, the kids, they're just like, oh, wow, we're too good for this. It's just, it's just passing and shooting. It's simple. 
And, you know, but hey, at the end of the day, people will be shocked. You watch guys at the highest level, that's all they do. But we want to make it as difficult as possible and then yell at the kids when they mess it up. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it is funny. And I'm sure you've interviewed a million coaches in, in your career. And what do they always say when either a player or a team's in a slump? Let's get back to the fundamentals. Got to get back to the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And you go out and you watch the first half hour before a practice and the half hour after practice. What are the best players in the world working on? It's the fundamentals. So by, I mean, that's as a youth coach, that's what the best coaches in the world and the best players in the world are always focusing on is just those little details, those little fundamentals, getting your shot a little bit better, getting a little bit faster. Maybe it's a little um, system thing or a concept thing that they're trying to get better at. And and yeah, I feel like I'm I'm with you. So many people overcomplicate the game so much. And especially, I almost said, at the youth levels more than even the higher levels too. <laughs> I yeah. agree. And I, yeah, exactly. I think that anyone who's really good at their job, whatever field or whatever they're interested in is, I think they, they learn from other avenues. So like if you're a hockey player, you watch a football practice or a baseball practice or look at a composer and like take some things from him, uh, things like that. And something that I've tried to take into when I'm coaching a practice is think about progressions and regressions because, you know, I love the the gym and our listeners know, like I have a training company. Um, Sturkey doesn't know what a gym is, but so I have a training company <laughs> and it's, it's all I know about a gym. If that makes sense. I don't know yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jim Campbell, uh, he doesn't know what a gym <laughs> is either. Actually, uh, ironically, um, glad but, to have somebody on the podcast that is taking away my jabs at the gym. Jeff always gives me <laughs> crap for not going. Hey. So thanks for coming on. Yeah. So in the, in the gym too early in the morning, why the hell would I want to get up at six o'clock in the morning and work out? Oh yeah. Be it healthy. (laughs) Anyways, back to my point, Boyd. in, in, in the gym and it's all about progressions and regressions. If I got a a 10 year old kid who's barely ever worked out, I'm not having them do all these complex drills. I'm doing regressions of them. So I think, okay, what's the skill I need to work on? What are the reverse steps in order that we need to work on? All right, you got to be able to do one first. Then we can move that down to two, progress to three, four, five. And so what you're, that's like literally exactly what you're saying, Stricky. We're trying to do these drills with some of these kid youth teams where it's like all these different skills, but they don't have even like one mastered yet. So let's break mm-hmm. it down. Like, like even yesterday. So I, I, uh, my head coach gave me 15 minutes to work with the forwards before practice. And it's like you said, the kids, sometimes when you dumb it down or you, or you focus on one thing, they are like, Oh, this is so easy. Well, when I'm having you focus on five things, you're doing everything at a C average. So let's focus mm-hmm. on one thing and do it a hundred percent to the best of your ability. And let's try and master that. And then we'll progress it. So for instance, yesterday I had the forwards, literally I have them stand on the corner of the blue line and one at a time sprint in full speed shooting and stride. And it was hilarious. It's so easy. You have so much rest time. You just got to focus on doing your one rep good compared to the other. I think we only had nine forwards. So it was one guy go, eight guys rest. People nowadays are like, oh, they should all be skating all the time, blah, blah, blah. Well, I want them to master this one skill before we can progress it to the next one and have more guys going at once. And so many guys are messing it up. And I'm like, you're, you're not shooting in stride. You're lifting your leg, you're pausing, you're gliding on your inside edge, and then you're shooting it two seconds later. That's not shooting in stride. So, like, we're just focusing on that. And I could see some of the guys kind of like, oh, this is boring. And I stopped it. I'm like, hey, when you guys can all do this perfectly, then we'll make a, a drill harder. But your rest to work ratio is so high right now than the rest of practice. This isn't about sloppy reps. This is about going 100% and let's master this. I totally agree with what you're saying there, Stricky. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And I just think, um, you know, so much of it, you're trying to impress the parents or trying to like, you know, whatever you're trying to do. And I listen, anybody who's coaching youth hockey for the most part, I mean, 90% plus of them, you know, their heart is in the right place. Their head is in the right place. They're volunteering their time for the most part. Except maybe where you're from, Tofrano. You guys probably make the big bucks over there, Coach. We make, we, 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 we make Trump change over here. Yeah. You know? No, no, but. no. I, I used to. I used. I grew up in Chicago. I don't live in Chicago right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, anybody who's volunteering their time and they're at the rink, I give them all full credit. But I, I think, you know, just kind of what Bex is saying. I, you know, hockey is at its simplest form. It's 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 the basic fundamentals that get you to the next level and, you know, have you, you know, having success at whatever level you're at. And I, I think when we try to overcomplicate it, you lose a kid's interest because they're not having as much success in practice because they're, they're just thinking, okay, what am I supposed to do next? Where am I going? Whatever, as opposed to just playing free and, and, you know, really developing the necessary skill to make you a better player and the fear of messing up a drill. That's what I do. Like I, I jump in the drill. I mess up every drill. Everyone I coach with hates coaching with me because I just mess up every drill. I always jump up, <laughs> jump into the drills. And I'm like, see, if you just dump it down a little bit, Stricky wouldn't, he wouldn't mess up every, every drill. I don't know <laughs> what the hell I'm doing, but it's so complicated, you know? But, um, but you know, listen, I think coaching should be fun too. Players want to see the coaches out there having a good time and having fun. And I just think it kind of cuts the tension. And especially when you're the assistant coach, you're allowed to have fun. So I wouldn't do it if I didn't, to be honest. Just ease, I love that. Just I was I was coaching baby. in a I was coaching in a uh, cut off sleeve shirt. They they're like, hey Vex, get it get in this drill. And I was wearing like a coach's jacket and a hoodie. And I was like, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in, boys. I ripped my tarp off and I have on like a sleeveless workout shirt on. I'm doing the drill and the boys were just <laughs> loving it. But like you said, like, oh yeah, it's youth hockey. Like let's work hard, but let's also have fun. Make them love the game. Hey, that's exactly it. You you got to have fun. I and I try to bring that to the table, like. I genuinely, I love being at the rink. I love, you know, being a part of a team and, you know, and just having fun at the rink. I, I would never, I'm always careful who I pick. Like my, my decision, if I'm going to coach that year, whatever is solely based on who I'm coaching with hundred percent. It's not about, do I have the best players in the area? You know, who's on which team it's, do I want to coach with this guy? Can I go to the rink every day and have fun and be on the same page? And I've been fortunate, you know, to coach with really good people and people who are on the same page and are in it for the right reasons and that you can learn from, that you can pick up stuff from. And, uh, cause otherwise I just wouldn't do it. I mean, and that's, listen, that's what kids, that's what they expect from me and, and you Bex. I mean, they, they come to like, um, you know, they have certain expectations from certain coaches. They know which guys are going to be, um, you know, a little more strict and which guys are going to let you have fun and which guys you can laugh about and which guys you can have a conversation with and which guys you can't. And I just want to, I don't want kids to be scared of me when I go to the rink, you know, I want them to have fun and be like, Hey, okay, strictly the practice today. It's going to be a fun practice day and we're going to have a good time and we're going to get something out of it and whatever. And, you know, and feel like you're on the same page, but if you need to hammer home a point that a head coach is trying to make, you can also get to them that way too, because you've already had that relationship established, that trust between you and the kids. So, but coaching youth hockey, man, I, I mean, I, I, it's one of my, one of the best decisions I've ever, ever made was getting involved on the youth hockey level. It's been awesome. That's really cool. That's really cool. And uh, yeah, there's nothing better. Jeff talks about it all the time. Like 
you know, having an impact on, on these kids that are going to go up. And you even mentioned it a lot earlier. You've seen some of these kids from six, seven years old, uh, you know, like the, I'm sure the Clayton Kellers and the Trent Fredericks and the Brady Kachucks and Matthew Kachucks and stuff, seeing them when they were, you know, even like what we were talking about at the beginning, running around the rink and, you know, hitting people with their, uh, with their sticks in the shins as they were playing ball hockey and the bleachers and stuff. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's really cool. But I know we don't have you for too much longer and, and I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the Stanley Cup run that the Blues had last year. That had to be a lot of fun. But um, you know, we had Chris Butler on the podcast before, and he gave us a little bit of insight from the room uh, about uh, you know, the way that they turn things around and the type of culture that they have. But what do you think was so special about this St. Louis Blues team? Because you've covered a lot of them in the past, some successful, not some not as much. What was it about this particular team from where you were watching the games and interacting with the players that just kind of led you to maybe just fall in love with this team and and what they were able to accomplish? It it was like expect the unexpected. Like everything came out of nowhere last year. I mean, everyone focuses on the team being last in the league, but, you know, they had a goaltender who a lot of people had never heard of who, who ends up taking them to the Stanley Cup final and obviously winning it. Like this was far from the best team that I've ever covered. You know, I mean, the Blues have had, like, Hall of Famers. They've had, you know, all-stars up and down the lineup, you know, heavy payrolls, and they could just never get it done, you know? But it was an environment that was created by the head coach and a confidence that was created by goaltending. Goaltending, you get good, good goaltending. It makes everybody that much more confident. And, you know, I obviously – you know, I don't know if guys knew where they stood or not, you know, under the previous coach, but when Craig Berube came in, everybody had a role. Everybody felt important and his ability to get their attention and to make everybody feel a part of it and do it in the, in the most simplest form was unlike anything that I had seen before. Like he's an unbelievable communicator and, you know, you hear stories from certain players and whatever, but to get everybody to buy into a certain style of hockey to have success, it's not easy to do, especially when you have, you know, some guys making $9 million, some guys making 700, but to get everybody on the same page was incredible. But the whole storyline, you know, with the song with Gloria and everything else, that kind of, it was just one of those magical seasons that you just can't write. You can't create it on its own. It's got to happen as, organically as possible and nothing was forced last year everything in terms of how it came together with O'Reilly coming to the blues you know the whole glorious song with Jordan Bennington coming out of nowhere with Craig Berube taking over with the whole Layla inspiration I mean everything was done individually and on its own and it came together and they could not have won without each of those things that I just mentioned and I talked about because everything played its role and had its part in it um, but it was, uh, and then, you know, the whole Pat Maroon thing, you know, him scoring the big goal, being from St. Louis. I mean, it was really, really cool. It was unlike anything we'll probably ever see again, to be honest. They may win again, but I don't know if they'll win like that again. How, uh, I've been very vocal on this podcast about the importance of Layla Anderson. And, and I think of a lot, obviously everything that you just said is huge, but I just, I, I can't get out of my head how important she was to that team and, and the kind of perspective that she gave them. Were you able to get to know her and her family and, and cover that in, in your role with the Blues? 
Yeah, I mean, I've actually known Layla since before she got sick. Oh, and wow. I've known her mom for a long time. Um, my wife had worked at Lululemon for years since the first came to St. Louis. She was like one of the first four girls that worked there. And, and you know, then they expanded into kind of what it is right now. They've got a couple stores and whatever. But Layla's mom worked at Lululemon also for a long time. And so my wife and, and Layla's mom had her. They were good friends. And so I used to see Layla around when everyone's kids would get together and stuff like that. So, yeah, I knew her before she got sick. And, and there's no doubt that the, her story, you know, inspired so many people, not just the team, but people outside of the team. And she became a big part of it, you know, and obviously going to the games during the playoffs and her videos that she put out. And, um, you know, I mean, I'll never forget crossing the border. I was heading up to British Columbia, um, with my wife this summer and just crossing the border from Washington, we flew into Seattle to see some friends. We drove up to Whistler and that's all the guy at the, uh, at the border wanted to talk about the security guy, the border agent. He was like talking about Layla, <laughs> you Very know? Cool. So, you know, it was really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there was a connection there and, and, and I'm with you, man. I think the way she inspired the team and how she had that connection with the team and just her involvement, like I said, I don't know if they win without all of these stars kind of aligning within themselves and coming together at the same time. Yeah, and I just think hockey people in general just have such big hearts. And uh, I'm involved with the special needs community a lot. And so every year I would take our guys at Cornell down to school for kids with special needs. And you know, our guys love to have a good time and love to have fun. But I've never seen the types of smiles that are on their faces as when they go and they interact with those kids um, that have special needs. So when they're doing things, for, especially for kids or for underprivileged kids or sick kids or, uh, you know, what, whatever it may be, I just feel like hockey people in general have just such big hearts and they're so giving. And, uh, it was really, really cool to see from the outside looking in, you got an inside look at that view, but from the outside looking in, I mean, I mean, I probably cried every time I saw a Layla Anderson video. You know, the relationship that she had with all the, all the different players individually, like it was completely genuine, and, you know, to, to see her, you know, continue to, you know, become more and more important as the playoffs went on and to see the entire country kind of, you know, become more and more familiar with who she, you know, was and what her story is and the connection she had to the Blues. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't downplay the importance of it. And, you know, seeing it behind the scenes, knowing the relationship she has with individual players, this is 100% genuine. And the players deserve a lot of credit because that's kind of who they are. And I'll give the Blues a lot of credit, too, for making her a part of things, even after the playoff run and having her name inside the ring. I mean, it's just it's amazing. So, you know, the name Layla will be synonymous forever with the St. Louis Blues winning the Stanley Cup. And, uh, and I thought it was really cool that they made her involved. And, listen, that relationship won't be going away. They'll have their relationship with her for several, several years down the road. It's so cool. That I love seeing that. I love that it's so genuine. You can just see on the players' faces and her face and everyone involved that it's it's real. It's not some kind of like media stunt or anything. Like it's mm-hmm. it's true passion and trying to help a girl find find something you know to to be a part of when she was going through a hard time and and the team needed her just as much as she needed the team. I think so. It was very cool to see. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I mean, it was just so big for the entire hockey community, you know, and for Pat Maroon to be on the team and obviously have his heroics and then, and come back to St. Louis and get his ring and the way the team treated him. And I, I mean, it's just, 
it's storybook, you know, and, and, and listen, those are the type of things that tend to happen when you win a championship and when all the stars kind of align with one another and Maroon being from St. Louis and, and uh, the support that he got from the other NHL guys, other hockey players who grew up in St. Louis, who know him, who feel like, you know, happy for, you know, his accomplishment and the fact that he was a part of the first team to ever win here in St. Louis. I think just, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a complete game changer, 100% for the game and for the Blues brand in St. Louis. It'll never be the same. And it's at an all time high. And for people who have been around the game in this town for a long time, it is so unbelievable to see how popular the game of hockey is right now and how popular the Blues are. You know, we always envisioned it. Would it ever get to this point? What would it mean if they won a Stanley Cup? And I think we're seeing it firsthand right now. It's been, it's been incredible. Yeah, it truly has. Like, and the timing of the two brand new rinks in St. Louis, one in Maryland Heights yeah. and one in Chesterfield, couldn't have come at a better time. And it's just super, super exciting here. And you know, and to dovetail off that and to go with it, like you're killing it too. I mean, you're on the radio, you're on TV, you've got a podcast. Uh, tell us about what you got going on, our listeners and where they can listen to you and stuff like that. And, you know, you got the podcast. You just started with Cam Jansen, one of my good friends who's also been on our podcast episode eight for any new listeners that didn't listen to that one. Cam is an unbelievably <laughs> inspirational guy. Um, yeah, I think yeah. he's, I think he's one of the reasons St. Louis hockey um, youth hockey is where it is today. He was one of the original guys to really, really push forward and, and break out of St. Louis. And uh, I always tell people like, you know, it's easy to look up to the Gretzky's and Lemieux and things like that. But when you got a guy like Cam Jansen, who had the limited skill he did, but made it and played 330 something games in the NHL, like that's the kind of guy you want to be looking up to. Like, what was he, uh, how was he able to do it? It's sometimes it's mind boggling. Uh, um, but it is mind boggling. Uh, just, just especially great. when he's it's better great. now after his career than he was as a player. So much better. He's okay. Now all of a sudden he's okay. But, so but I, I, I agree with that Bex because listen, all these guys are unbelievable players. Matthew Kachuk, Brady Kachuk. I mean, Clayton Keller, these guys are just ridiculous generational type talents, you know, I mean, certainly best players to ever come out of St. Louis, Paul Stanton, Ben Bishop, you put all these guys in the same category. They're just ridiculous. But to me, Cam Jansen is the biggest success story in the history of St. Louis hockey. Hands down, not even close. The only other story that maybe comes close is, is Pat Maroon in terms of what he's been able to do. But, um, you know, just when you look at the background they came from, they didn't grow up in a similar situation. They didn't have a dad who played in the NHL. That's not going to knock those guys at all. I mean, listen, I mean, Keith Kachuk's about as real of a person as you're going to find. You'd never know they, that they come from you know, Matthew and Brady come from that background. I mean, these are incredible, incredible kids who have, you know, so much respect for those who have come before them and just for the game of hockey, you see how they carry themselves. They're just incredible people. But Cam Jansen, how he got there, how he literally fought his way to the National Hockey League in an era where you had to fight, you had no choice, and he was undersized, Going up against the guys, he had to fight. He was fearless. His teammates loved him. I had the opportunity to cover him as a player and to see firsthand how he interacts with his teammates, how much his teammates liked him, what he meant for hockey in the area. It is an incredible story. I'm so glad that he's the first one to do it because I think he's the biggest success story, too. I didn't say he's the best player, but in terms of 
what he had to go through to get there, his challenges versus the other kids is not even close. And I give him all the credit in the world. The same with Pat Maroon as well. So we're doing this podcast called the Cam and Strick Podcast. Um, he gets he gets mad if I call it the Strick and Cam Podcast. So I have the same first, which is fine, which is fine. And um, but he's one of my favorite people that you know I've ever met. To be honest, like he's just a great, great guy. We have fun hanging out. Um, they're fun interviews. We get some of the biggest names in hockey who come on and tell stories and just hang out for a good 30, 45 minutes, kind of what you guys do. And, and we just talk hockey and, and, and we have fun with it. So we do that. Um, I do a radio show every Friday, a, a hockey show, but doing a hockey show here in town for 20 years and try to get the biggest names in hockey on my show. We just had Don Cherry on last Friday. Oh, oh no way. Time out. Time out. Yeah. We, what? We yes. Yeah, the only U.S. the only U.S. interview he did in the states, the only radio interview he did, he did one television interview with with uh, Tucker Carlson, and he did my radio show last Friday. So, um, and that was unbelievable having him on. So we try to get the biggest names on. So we do the radio show. I'm doing television with the Blues. We do a lot of feature stuff, do stuff in game, pre game, post game, everything with that. So yeah, we're keeping busy, man, and it's great. Life is good. Well, you say you had the you're trying to get the biggest names on. So have you uh, have you asked Vex to come on or? Yeah, what a joke! No, we, we got, we got to get back. Vex costs too much money. <laughs> we got no. and, and plus he's always busy. He big times me. This guy. He's, oh he's my busy god! If I had a dollar for every time <laughs> Jeff complains about how busy he is, I'd be I'd be a rich man living on a yacht in Florida. But he is busy. You talk about killing it in St. Louis. This guy's doing it, and I will pump his tires because I've had. Plenty of parents tell me just one-on-one, and I'm talking about parents of kids, like, who know what they're talking about when it comes to hockey, and they give Jeff Lavecchio a full endorsement in terms of what he's done for their kids and whatever. So there it's, you go. It's, it's, and you know what, man? He gives the same treatment and the same commitment to the house league player or the kid playing at a lower level as he does to a kid who's got NHL aspirations and true NHL potential. So. So I'll give them all the credit in the world for that too, man. All right, now sure. start training me. 40% off your next trading session. Good job. <laughs> I, don't like I want more than that. I want more than that. You know, <laughs> doesn't pay. You know that. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm good. kidding. I'm kidding. But yeah, so we got a lot of good things happening here in, in St. Louis right now. And Cam is, Cam is awesome, man. I mean, he's, uh, he's hilarious and we just have a good time. That's kind of my motto in life, man. Whoever you're going to team up with or you're going to join up with, you know, you got to make sure you're enjoying it. If you're not enjoying it, it's time to do something else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your your podcast has its own Twitter, right? Is it is it just at the Cam and Strick podcast? Actually, it wouldn't let me do that. My I, the Twitter account actually it's hilarious. It is at Strick Cam. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sure. I know, I know. He thinks I did it on purpose, but the it's called the Cam and Strick podcast, and it's available on iTunes. Spotify and YouTube. You just got to search it. And we've had some good guests and it's fun. Language gets a little salty at times. I, because of Cam, not because of me. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, if there's kids listening, you know, make sure you, uh, you know, your parents let you listen to it. You know, don't come, you know, have your mom, you know, yelling at me. It's like when I, like one of the first trips me and Roger went on, we went on a bus and we played slap shot and like moms went crazy on us for playing <laughs> slap shot. Really? in the bus we're like we're like we didn't know we're like we're like young we're like 22 23 like what else are you supposed to watch on the bus when you're like going on a hockey trip you put slap shot in but i guess it wasn't good for some of the 16 <laughs> 
Oh, right. would have been great. I'm sure. I'm sure half the kids had seen it already. <laughs> who, oh, who exactly. Had, yeah. like, what they don't? They're not allowed to watch Slapshot. That's terrible <laughs> parenting. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Well, well, we thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun uh, being able to hear your story and and some of the stories that you have from covering the game and covering the Stanley Cup last year. So, uh, yeah, for all our listeners out there, if you're looking for another podcast, the Cam and Strick podcast, which should be the Strick and Cam podcast, uh, but you know, we'll we'll let it be. But uh, yeah, follow follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow on Twitter as well. And uh, yeah, we just want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to come and speak with us. All right. Thanks for having me, fellas. Good luck with everything. Keep doing what you guys are doing. Thanks, Tricky. All right. Thanks.